Morning, Brookside. It's good to see everybody. Um, any of you uh, forget the time change and you're here by accident? Yeah, I'm sure there are a few. Well, um, I do too just want to say, as Carrie did, uh, welcome to any guests that are here with us this morning. It's great to have you here, and um, we really do just pray that you have an encounter um, with the Lord this morning. It's a, really a privilege for us to be able to gather uh, together again this week. Um, this morning, what we're going to do is we're in part three of a series that we're doing through the New Testament book of Romans, and uh, today we're going to be looking specifically at chapter two, and specifically at the first uh, 16 verses in that chapter. And and what we've seen and what we're going to continue to see throughout the book of Romans is that chapter by chapter, we're going to continue to understand, better understand the gospel. We're going to continue to better understand who God is. We're going to better understand who we are and also then how we can have a relationship with the God of the universe that loves us immensely. Uh, this series in Romans, as you know too, is also, it's very closely tied to a series that we just came out of called The Story. And, and in that series, what we did is we looked very practically at God's heart for people that are far from God. And um, we, we learned that, boy, God's heart beats for people who have yet to begin relationship with Him. In addition to that, in addition to learning about God's heart, we also learned that God calls us to mission. God calls us to be the kind of people that we have hearts for people who don't know Christ, that we want want to share the hope that we have in him. I, lo I have loved how Steve, our lead pastor, has not only led and encouraged us to have those kinds of hearts that are reaching out, but he's also helped equip us. Um, we've gotten some great tools. You might remember that in this series, um, in that series, we were challenged to write out our stories, our stories of how we came to, to know Christ in a hundred words or less, and we were to submit those. And I tell you what, those stories continue to come in online, and they're inspiring. I've been moved, honestly, to tears reading through those different stories about how, for so many of you, Jesus Christ has impacted your life, and he's, he's changed you. I was talking to a guy this week, and, and he was telling me, he said, you know what, I, I, just this week, he said, I, I wrote my story out. And he said it was an incredible experience for me. It was so helpful. And he said, and they said, with a ton of excitement, he said, and you'll never believe it. He said, this week, I, I finished it up, I submit it, and he said, and then God gives me this opportunity then to share it with somebody else. Doesn't get any better than that, does it? Well, we know that the author of the book of Romans had his own story. Uh, we know that, that Paul the Apostle wasn't the kind of guy that was always walking in step with God. Uh, he had his own issues. At one particular part of his life, he would have been considered an enemy of the gospel, actually. But his encounter with Jesus Christ, it changed everything for him. In the first chapter of the book of Romans, we've seen this key verse. It's really a key verse for the entire book. And, and Paul wrote this in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, meaning I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to shy away from it. I don't need to. I don't want to suppress it. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And here's why. He said, because it is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes. Now, the reason why Paul said, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because the truth of it, it had gripped him to the core. It's the same thing that's true for so many of you. When Jesus Christ, when he gets a hold of your life, when he grips you to the core, when he changes you, when you truly understand who Jesus is, and then you also understand who you are, it changes everything. This morning, before we begin this, to jump into our text in Romans chapter 2, I just want us to go before the Lord and just say, Lord, again, would you so clearly communicate to us through the teaching of your word? Lord, would you have this undeniable impact? You know, we see throughout the scriptures, and this is uh, encouraging news 
for you if you're here this morning and you'd say, I'm on a spiritual journey. I'm just, I'm trying to figure this God thing out. And this is also encouraging news for you if you've been a devoted follower of Christ for years. Throughout the scriptures, we see over and over when God's people, when people pursue God, he answers. When, when people say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean into, I'm going to press into God, God doesn't say, well, maybe I'll get to you later. No, no, God is, he's close. He's willing. He's joyfully waiting to embrace those with open hearts. And so let's go to the Lord now and let's just say, God, that's, that's who we are today. And that's our desire. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Um, Lord, as we jump into this book of Romans again and we learn about the gospel, Lord, we pray this most important topic that you would teach us. Lord, too, we thank you that you're the kind of God that you know us, you know us by name. You know the things that we bring into the room, the trials, the, the joys that we've had in the last seven days. And so, Lord, knowing that even, we just, we lay those things before you in confidence because you love us so dearly. And so, Lord, now even as we open up your word, we just want to pray, Lord, that that same God who knows us, that same God that's holy, who's just and he's loving, we pray, Lord, that you would meet us, God, that you would speak to us. And so would you even just on your own now, would you just have a prayer with the Lord, just something simple like this. You just say, Lord, I'm open to you. It could be a first prayer for you even. Lord, I'm open to you. God, would you speak to me this morning? So go ahead and do that. Lord, I thank you that you meet us in that place and that we can confidently and expectantly approach you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me briefly review where we were last week, because last week's text, Romans chapter 1, is really the counterpart to Romans chapter 2. The two really go hand in hand. We said last week that when we get to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, and really all the way through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, the text takes a turn. It takes a hard turn. In this section of Romans, the, the condemnation of God or the wrath of God is highlighted. And while you might read that or you might hear that even, and at first glance, at first here, you kind of go, wow, that's bad news. I, I don't know that I really want to hear that. I, I wish I would have inf- invited a friend next week, you know, or whatever. Or you think, wow, I, I can't wait till we get later in Romans. Can't wait for Romans chapter 8 or even ones before that. And while we might think that on, on first take, I think we would also agree with this, though, that sometimes the people that speak the hardest words into our lives whether that is a friend who spoke some truth into our lives that was hard to receive or a family member or you, man, you read it straight from God's word or the spirit of God spoke a hard something you needed to hear into your life. Some of the hardest words to swallow potentially, we see this time and again in our lives, if we receive them, they have the potential to bear the greatest fruit in the long run. You can think of it like this. Imagine for a second that you, uh, you had something wrong with you physically and so you went to a doctor and you said, to the doctor, he said, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm having these issues. I can't really explain them. And the doctor said, okay, well, we need to run several tests on you. He came back and he said, okay, we need to run some more tests, some more scans. And you just, they did the whole nine yards for you. And so that doctor then, he gets all of the results. Imagine this. He gets all the results. He's sitting in his office. He's looking at the charts, the graph, everything. He's got thing, you know, x-rays, all of it. And he knows exactly what you have. It's, cl- it's clear as day to him. He knows that it's a life-threatening illness and that you will be gone in a matter of months if you are not properly treated, if you don't go through a, you know, a pretty strict treatment plan. And so that doctor, and he's one of the best, his peers look at this doctor and they say, he's an expert in the field. 
He's an expert among us. And so that doctor lays out a treatment plan for you. He writes it down, right? And he knows it's going to be tough for you, but he puts it in his file, and then he walks down to your room where you're waiting for him. He opens the door, but as he shakes your hand and as he sits down, he realizes as he looks at your face just how hard this news is going to be for you to receive. He thinks about, oh, wow, they're going to have to make some hard phone calls. Oh, they're going to have to tell their family. Oh, they're going to have to miss work. Oh, they're going to, this, this treatment plan is extremely tiring on the body, but it works. But he looks at you, and because he knows the distress that this news is going to cause you, he says, I'm not going to tell him the news. I'm just going to bury it. And to ease his conscience, he throws up a prayer in hopes that you'll be cured, but he doesn't say a thing. You wouldn't want that doctor, would you? No, that's the kind of doctor that gets sued justly for malpractice, right? You would want the truth. You would want to know, even if it was hard truth, you would want to know the truth. Because even if the words are hard, they're hard to hear, they're hard to receive, you can at least then do something about them. You would want to know the truth. Please hear this this morning as we approach this text. God cares enough for you and I that he gives us the whole picture. He doesn't just fold over the paper and say, I'm just, I'll leave that part out. He gives it all to us, out of his love, really. In today's text, we're going to get an accurate look. The text is going to lead us to take an accurate look at ourselves. It's like Paul is saying this. It's like Paul is saying, I want you to approach today's text like it's a mirror. I want you to stand directly in front of, of the mirror, and I want you to look not outside the window this morning, Paul would say to his listeners, but I want you to look straight at yourself. Don't, don't look at other people. Don't point a finger today. I want you to just look at you. I want you to look deep inside your own heart. If you're going to go, nail down just one takeaway from this morning, here it is. Just one thing that I think the Apostle Paul is wanting us not to miss. It's four simple words. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Here it is. Take a look inside. Take a look inside. Stand before the mirror. Look not at the other people around, but look straight at your own heart. Look on the inside. i got to tell you, one of the... One of the greatest joys about being a pastor is when you see a group of people, and we see this over and over again at Brookside, and we're so grateful for it. It's when you see people, and they, they take to heart the things of God's Word. They hear the teaching of God's Word, they're reading it on their own, and it impacts them. It moves them. They're open to it. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul makes this statement. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news. But we know this, we know that in order to really understand the good news and for the good news to really be good news, we got to come face to face with the bad news. We've got to see clearly what it is. Paul said that the good news, that is verse 17, he said that in the gospel, here it is, in the gospel there is a righteousness from God that through faith it gets imparted to us. Through faith in Christ, there is this righteousness from God that we receive. But then he went on to say, verse 18, not everybody receives that good news. Not everybody even wants it. And we learn this further down in chapter 1. I'm going to read this to you. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. Paul wrote this. He said, since that's the case, he said, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. Meaning this, they take God's truth, even though they know it, and they, they push it away, they suppress it. They say, no, 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 I, I don't want that. I don't want to hear it. They suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them 
because God has made it plain to them. And then he said, and okay, here it is. This is how God has made his truth plain to you. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people, all people, are without excuse. In other words, what Paul is saying is that just by the greatness of creation alone, we know about God. We are without excuse. I think of last Sunday night, I don't know, man, I saw the sunset last Sunday night. It was amazing. When we see the, the vastness, the greatness of God's creation, this is saying we should stand back and we should go, who did that? And not only that, but inside of us, there's our spirit is saying, created in the image of God, it's saying not only, whoa, who did that, but there's a sense of, I am, I'm accountable to him. But it says this, but because people suppress the truth, they've gone their own way. They said, no, I, I don't care about what God said. It says that the wrath of God is being revealed. We learned last week in the text that God, it says, he gave them over, meaning that they, they kept pulling on the reins and saying, let me go, let me go. This is what I want to do. And it says, finally, it says, God gave them over. God gave them over to the things that they wanted. And if you remember, Paul went through a pretty extensive list, didn't he? He covered things from idolatry to sexual perversion to greed to gossip to, to envy to untruthfulness to not showing honor to your parents. And it was Paul's hope that his readers would hear that first part of that letter, that they would hear it and they would go, whoa, that is me. I see myself in that list. I am, I am guilty. I am the kind of person I hear that and I am in need of Jesus Christ. But Paul knew that it wouldn't be the case. Paul knew that there would be people in his audience who would look at that list and they would actually leave feeling better about themselves because they felt as though that was someone else's problem. There would be people in his audience who would actually leave feeling better about them as they looked out the window and instead of in the mirror. Paul is speaking to two audiences, really. He was speaking to Gentiles, but he's also speaking to Jews. And primarily in chapter 1, he's speaking to his Gentile audience, but now he's looking at the rest of the crowd, and particularly he's zeroing in on the religious Jew. And the religious Jew would say this, well, Paul, I mean, come on, the Apostle Paul. I mean, it's very, it's very obvious, even what you, by what you said in, in, in chapter 1. You said things like this, for although they knew God. So I don't even think Paul, I don't even it didn't even sound like you were talking to us. I mean, it says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. And then, Paul, you said, therefore God gave them over to sinful desires and to shameful lust. God gave them over. This is not my problem. Good. I checked the box on that. I'm, I'm good. But when we get to chapter 2, Paul turns the corner and he repeatedly says, no, you he says, you, look right in the mirror. And then in chapter 3, he says, all. Paul sets up people perfectly who are churchy, people who are finger-pointing, people who have this tone or this posture, this air about them, that they are holier than thou. He sets them up perfectly. Five times alone in verse 1, Paul says, you. Not them to the religious. He says, no, 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 the problem is you. You need to look in your own heart. And those people would have said, no, 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 Paul, Paul, you had it right. I mean, throw the wrath at those people, those Gentiles. Throw the wrath at them. We can't believe what they do. They throw the book at them. Tell them, Paul. 
That would have been the typical response to an upright Jew listening to Paul. But Paul is saying, no, no, you. He's saying, no, you need to take a a look inside. He's addressing hypocrites. He's addressing people that might have an outward religious facade, but inside they're, they're different. They're very much like the people that they judge. It was people maybe that were taking stock in the fact that their parents were followers of God. It was people that were taking stock in things like church attendance or, or good deeds. I can relate to this. This was a picture of me until I came to know Christ in college. I was putting all my stock in attendance and good deeds. Well, that list wasn't very good. But Paul's saying this, no, you can't look outside anymore. He's saying, I want you to look right in the mirror. When we get to Romans chapter 2, one commentator put it like this. He said, when we get to Romans chapter 2, it's as though the apostle Paul takes a bucket of very cold water and he goes right up to the person that's very religious, very finger pointing, and he just throws it right in their face. And you know that expression when you get cold water in the face? It's like, oh, that's what it would have been like for them when they heard Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Let's look at it. It says this, it starts off, verse 1, you, you therefore have no excuse. And I bet you you could hear a pin drop in the place when he read that. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Paul's saying there's something wrong here. You look at other people and you see what they do and you condemn them and it makes you feel good about yourself. But he's saying then you turn right around and you do the exact same things. It shouldn't be that way. Verse 2. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth, meaning that, that, that in the eyes of God, It doesn't matter who you are. It really doesn't matter. There is no special treatment. God is just. We wouldn't want him any other way. And so you and me and everybody else were judged by the exact same standard. Verse 3, here it is. He says this, so so when you, and again he's saying, take a look inside, so when you, a mere human being, when you pass judgment on them and yet you do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Obvious answer to them, no. If you look further on the text, you get to verse 21 through 24, Paul gives examples of this, of what they were doing. Verse 4, or do you show contempt, meaning do you show disdain for the riches of his kindness Kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you toward repentance. This is the person that they take for granted the grace of God. They look at their lives and they say, well, I'll get to it someday. They they take for granted the fact that God has been patient with them. And while God's faithfulness, while God's goodness even in their life, though they've denied him, it should lead them towards him The text is saying, no, you still, you're at arm's length. You stay away. Verse 5. But because of your stubbornness, it's a hard text, isn't it? Verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. He's dealing with the person again that's their heart. It's incredibly hard. It's the person that says, I'll get to God someday. I will humble myself when I need to. But right now, my way's working. I'm good. You get the the hand, God. He's saying that this person, what are they doing? He's saying they're storing up wrath. It's like a caseworker 
that they're on a case for a long time on a person, and they just see this person's file get thicker and thicker and thicker. And in this case, it's because they refuse to repent. It's because they refuse to turn towards God and to acknowledge who they are. He keeps going, verse 6, says that God will repay each person, meaning nobody gets a pass. God will repay each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, that'd be me, and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Now it appears on first read here that there's two groups of people, that there's, there's one group that's lined up for wrath, but then there's this other group that's going to receive glory and honor and peace. I gotta be honest with you, I wanna be in group two, you know? So I could think, as I read this, I could think, wow, I, I better get going then. I better get my act cleaned up. I better, I better look good. I, I better, you know, get my righteous works going so that they are accredited to me. But really, there's, there, are, there are two groups. And in group one, you could think of it like this. In group one, you have people, all people. And then over here in group two, group two, you have Jesus, The Apostle Paul knew where he was going. In chapter 3, he says this, No one, no one is justified by keeping the law. There are no people that fit in the good enough category. I mean, think about it. Look at verse 8. Who among us this morning would say um, that you're not self-seeking? Anybody? Don't even waste time asking the person next to you. You don't want to hear what they'll say very quickly. No, you know. A while back, I was with um, my mom, and I had uh, Christine and I's kids were there, and, and so I was, I was talking to her about my kids and their behavior and, and, and all that stuff, and, and so I, I said to her, I, I, was, I thought I knew what she would say, and so I said, I said, Mom, what was I like as a kid? I couldn't believe her response, you know, about my brother, you know? It was definitely about my brother because it couldn't have been about me. I was appalled at what she said, you know? Think about this for a second. The bar... The bar is perfection. The bar is perfection. Let me read one of the stories of faith that came in. This highlights this point really well. This guy writes this. This is his, his God story. He said, I'm a perfectionist. I've got self-imposed standards for how things should be. This can lead to me being critical. Even though I've been following Jesus for decades, I can transfer this ism of mine onto God. The thing is, God is a perfectionist. He won't tolerate sin. What's liberating, though, is that God is also loving and gracious. We see this in God sending Jesus to die for us. Because of Jesus and my trust in him, God's posture towards me is loving acceptance, not condemnation. This grace is transforming my heart to be loving and gracious, too. It's perfect. Verse 12, Paul goes on. He says, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Verse 13, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who are declared righteous. And again, Paul's question to them would have been, are you spotless? Are you good? Are you totally, are you totally clean? 
Verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, like, like the Jews did, indeed, when Gentiles who don't, do not have the law do by nature things required uh, by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. Meaning this, they instinctively know what's right and wrong. It's as simple as that. Verse 15. They show that the requirements of the law are written, here it is, this is important, the requirements of the law are written on their hearts and their conscience also bearing witness that their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them. He's saying that just their consciences alone are either their prosecutor or their defender, one or the other. They, they know right, they know wrong. Now let's say today I leave, I leave church here and Let's say I'm feeling pretty good. So I go over to 24-Hour Fitness to get a little workout in. And let's say I walk over to the bench press, and, and I'm feeling confident today. And so I walk over to the bench press, and I say, you know what? Today's the day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live the dream today. And so I decide I'm going to try to bench press 315 pounds, okay, when I typically would bench press, you know, seven or eight pounds, you know. <laughs> and so I go over there, and I strap three plates on each side, three 45-pound plates, and by some miracle, some act of God, I'm able to get the bar off the rack. So then it's, you know, it's above me and the arms are shaking, you know, and then all of a sudden I can't hold it anymore. I surely can't let it down slowly. Boom, it just hits me in the chest, pins me there, right? Now think for a second about what my fate is. In a matter of seconds, I, in maybe minutes, I will suffocate, right? There, there will be no more me right there on the gym floor at 24, right? Not a good thing. Now imagine though if somebody comes up and they say, they say, man, I see you're having trouble. Let me help you. And they say, push your elbows in and arch your back a little bit. Now that's good technique and all, but it's not helpful in the moment, is it? I need someone to lift the weight, don't I? Now imagine somebody else comes along and they're all emotional. Oh, I can't believe you're going to die right here in the gym, you know? And then they walk away, right? It's all emotional. And then the third person comes up and they look at me and they just go, man, you are so dumb. I mean, what were you thinking? I mean, look, and there's mirrors all over the place. Look, see yourself, and then do the math, man. What were you thinking? They say, your condemnation is deserved, and they walk away, right? Death, go ahead. Now, what do I need in that moment? I don't need a religion that has pity on me. I don't need advice, right? I don't need any of that. I need someone to come along and pick up the weight to get it off of me. God loved us enough. What did he do? He said this, you can't bear the weight. He says, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can do it for you. You're pinned. You are a goner. But he says, I will, I will take it off of you. What do you need when you're pinned down with weight? You need somebody else to take it from you. Look at me at this last verse, verse 16. It says that this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Paul ends this section, it's as though he's saying, if you've missed it, like if you're still at the point where you're not acknowledging that you are in trouble, that you are pinned down because of your sin, Paul's talking to his audience and he says, I just want you to know, just so I've covered all the bases, it's, it's as though he's saying, I just want you to know that even your secrets, like you might be really good at masking a good appearance and you might be able to hide your sin really well, but Paul is saying very clearly, even your secrets will be before God. Nothing will be hidden from him. Against the perfection of a holy God, no one is clean. No one is clean. If there are just two labels, as I've 
you know, sat and walked through Romans 1 and 2 with you, if there are just two labels that I think Paul would want us to put on ourselves after being in these two chapters, here they are. The first one is this. I believe Paul would want us to put on the label that says right on our chest, guilty. Guilty. Because of our sin. I think Paul would say you should wear the the label guilty. We should say I'm a sinner. I am broken. I am desperate. I am in need of Christ. I'm broken before you. But the other label would be this, and the gospel, remember the gospel is the good news. And why is it good news? It's because when we clearly see the bad news, it leads us to good news. And here's the good news, label two, righteous. We should put a sign on us that says righteous through Christ. Remember Romans 1.17, what did Paul say? He said, for in the gospel, there's this righteousness from God that is revealed. What is it? It's this imparted to us through faith in Christ, we get the righteousness of God. So on the one hand, guilty. I was thinking about just my own week, and I just thought several times over the course of the week, wow, I'm, I'm a serious sinner, you know? Guilty. I wear that. But you know what else we wear in Christ? If you have faith in Christ, you proudly wear this. You have a new heart. You do. Romans chapter 5 says that you were declared what in his sight? Righteous. It's amazing. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 17, this is after David had sinned against God, and David said this. This is the posture that Paul is going for. David said, my sacrifice, O God, what is it to you? He said, it's a broken spirit. My sacrifice to you is a broken and a, a contrite heart, a heart that feels remorse for my sin. And in that heart, he said, O God, you will not despise it. You will not despise it. The New Testament, oh, This guy, Luke, he walked very closely with Christ. He recorded this story that Jesus told about these two guys, and it drives this point home so well. So I want you to imagine, imagine Jesus standing before a group of people, and these are people that he really wants to understand the truth. These are people that Jesus looks at, and he knows that some of them are a little bit confused, and he's saying, I want you to know crystal clear what relationship with me looks like. And so he says this, Luke 18, says two men went up to, tells him a story, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, one was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by, by himself and he prayed. I mean, imagine that. He just, he got all alone away from the crowd. He stood by himself and he prayed. Here was his prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, meaning I, I'm complete, I'm, I'm self-righteous. And thank you that I'm even not like this tax collector. Verse 12, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. And then here's the other guy, but the tax collector, it says, he stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven. He wouldn't even approach it. But he beat his chest, he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then here's Jesus' response. He says, I tell you that this man... Rather than the other, he went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves, all those who say, let's look out the window instead of looking in the mirror, for all of those people, they will be humbled. But for those who humble themselves, they will be exalted. Romans chapter 8, it says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For those who go before God and they say, with a broken and with a contrite spirit, Lord, I'm humbled. I see who I am. I know who you are. I'm humbled. That's the good news. This text, the gift that this text gives us is this. It helps us understand very clearly that's the bad news. But when we know the bad news, it pushes us over here to the good news. 
We look at that and we say, yeah, I'm guilty. But we also say, whoa, in Christ, joy, right? In, in Christ, I'm righteous. I'm guilty of sin, yes, most definitely. But in Christ, I've got a new heart. I'm a new creation. I'm declared righteous in his sight. Not by myself, but Romans 1.17, by that righteousness that I get through faith that's then imparted to me, me a sinner. Tim Keller put this uh, was on Twitter this morning. This, this sums it up well. He said, he wrote this. He said, the gospel shows us a law that must be fulfilled, destroying pride. And a Savior that fulfills it completely for us, destroying despair. This morning we're going to end our service a, a little bit differently. Um, I'm going to lead us just kind of in a little time of prayer. Rob's going to come and just kind of play over us. And, and I just want to give you a few moments this morning because Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, if, if we leave Romans 1 and 2 and we don't spend any time looking in the mirror, we've missed Romans 1 and 2. This text would lead us to say, I need to sit in the fact for a while that I am, I am guilty. But then we also need to say, whoa, I embrace though, Romans 1.17. Yes, I am guilty. But then with joy, we need to say, I'm declared righteous. I'm declared righteous in his sight. It's amazing. And so let me, let me pray for us and just kind of lead us and then, um, and then we'll, Rob will come and, and, and we'll sing eventually, okay? So, so let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for uh, this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for this clear call coming out of Romans 1 and 2 that we should be the kind of people, Lord, that what do we do? We run to the cross. That we're not the types that we say, okay, it's not my time yet. I'm not, I'll humble myself later. But God, might we be the kind of people that we run to you, that we cling to you. And what do we do in that guilty state? What do we do when we're pinned down and we can't get it off? What do we do? We say, okay, who's the one that can and Lord, we know that we receive righteousness from you. And so let me just, um, let me say, if, if you're here this morning and, uh, and you would say, you know what, it's been a while. It's been a while since I looked at my own heart. Um, you might just say something like this to God right now. You might just open yourself up and say, Lord, I confess to you. Lord, I confess to you that, you know what, I go through life and I really don't take a glance inside very often. So oftentimes then I don't appreciate the cross of Christ. And so right now, would you just confess sin to God? Would you just say, here it is. Here, here they are. And, Lord, and right now, would you give those to God? So just take a moment and, and just even just do that on your own. And Lord, as we bear that sign that says guilty, Lord, um, in Christ now, we take it off. We take off the guilty sign, and Lord, we grab the righteous one. We put it around our neck, and we say, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that through Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is not far from me. It is true of me. When I stand before God, I will be declared righteous because of faith in Christ. And so, God, Lord, now we just want to say for a minute, we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you.
And you would say of yourself this morning, you know what, I'm, I'm not a follower of Christ. Um, and you would say you've never accepted him. You've never believed in what Christ did, the finished work on the cross. Um, I just want you to know this morning, you can call out to him. You can call out to him and you can say, Lord, I am, I am weak. I am a sinner. And very simply, I am weak and you are strong. And so I, I call out to you and Lord, I say, would you take my sin? I believe in what you've done for me. And I want you to know that in that moment, he receives you. You have eternal life. It's amazing. You begin life with God. What a hope. What a joy. And so, Lord, we just want to say now as collectively as a people, Lord, thank you for Romans 1 and 2. Thank you for the hard truth about who we really are, but thank you about the good truth, Romans 1.17, about who we are in Christ. So we pray this now in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand now and uh, let's, let's sing this song together.